And we're back. I'm Ron Alesco, and welcome to Traditions. Well, we have a good friend with us today, a gentleman whose music and uh, not just his music, but the, the man himself. I mean, he's out there traveling, performing in nursing homes for veterans and unions and you name it. If there's a cause, I think George Mann is there. And uh, we're lucky he was in our area this weekend, uh, I believe, visiting family in Long Island. And uh, No, I was doing gigs in Long Island. Oh, doing and gigs? And my taxes. Oh, my oh, <laughs> but, goodness. Uh, goodness. But, uh, it's been three years in a row, Ron. I've made this trip where I, I come. It's perfect that you're on Sunday afternoon uh-huh. because after two or three days of gigs, I'm on my way back to Ithaca from Long Island. And it's a wonderful halfway, not a halfway stop, a third of the way stop. Right. And a chance to say hello and see you and uh, share some music, of Uh-oh. course. So well, I'm glad to be back. We were, I was here last year when we were talking about Utah Phillips Law because it was the 10th yeah. anniversary of his passing and that wonderful project his son had put together to bring the his old railroad car across the country yeah, to the museum in right. Weed, California happened and I was there a month later. Yeah. Huh. So it's good to be back. Good to see you and excited for what you're doing too. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm, I'm working on a, uh, someone may not know this, I'm doing a 24-7 uh, internet channel for folk music, which is going to launch on May 3rd. Pete's anniversary birthday. Pete Seeger's birthday. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. So I'm excited about that and all oh, the great yeah. music we'll share. Sundays weren't enough for me, so <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm sure your listeners know you had a change of career kind right. of in the last year mm-hmm. since I saw you. And all I can say to you is when I finally left the working world full time 10 years ago this fall, it'll be, and tried out to start out as a folk singer, I knew it was full of trepidation and fear and uncertainty, losing the paycheck. Mm. But Within a few months, I knew I'd made the right decision. And I know you're going to feel that if you don't already from the response you're getting to this project, which hasn't even launched yet. Thank you. It's going to be a great job. Thank you. Uh, you. A great job you're doing for for folk music and for people like me. Thank you. you. uh, Those of us who are not stars don't get heard unless people like you do what you do. Well, that's that's what I feel. I felt there was a need for something that uh, more 24-7, people like yourself and and so many others out there, people that I get to share for three hours a week on traditions, but I think it needs Mm -hmm. to be more. And we're going to do work on that. But, you know, what you were saying about leaving a career, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I don't feel any trepidation. Um, I'm, I'm lucky. My, my, I'm in a good financial spot to do this. But, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's uh, it's people like you that really inspired me. You know, seeing like what you're saying about, you know, leaving the, the, the job and doing something that you're passionate about. And I think that's an important thing in everybody's life. And, you know, the, the signs were coming over the years. Every time I interview an artist, I, I'd, I'd get a little bit jealous, you know. <laughs> but, well, uh, I felt the same way. You know, yeah. I, I went the opposite of most of the people I know in the folk world. They, they, they try and strike out. They strike out as folk singers in their early 20s. Yeah. And they often strike out, to use right. a baseball metaphor. Or maybe hit foul balls, you know. Um, don't, don't succeed. I never had that confidence at 22 that I could do that. I was a rock and roll musician in my teens, but... I was training as a journalist and an editor for through college, and then I got involved in the union movement. I was always making music kind of on the side, but I, I felt about 10 years ago this August, it will be, mm-hmm. uh, that I said, I've done this for 10 years and I'm not succeeding well because I'm not devoting my full time to it. Mm-hmm. I'm working and getting the paycheck that keeps me paid and gives me health insurance and all those things, you know, they paid vacation. Um, so when I left it, I had a little nest egg sir, saved. Right. And as you know, that is what floats you. And it took me a good year or two, Ron, to find my footing. And if it weren't for the nursing and veterans homes, which is great work, loving work and pays, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I couldn't make it as a folk singer alone because, sure. as we all know, the audiences are, you know, it's harder to draw an audience and unless you're, you know, really well-established name and really great talent, right. which I don't think I am. Well, we'll <laughs> I mean, we'll I accept see. that. Uh, you know, I, I play for literally dozens, not right. hundreds, you know, as Utah yeah. used to say, you know. But uh, no, so I'm good. you're going to have a great project and it's going to be so much, uh, so much good to come of it. And it's about preserving this music because we, you, both you and I and so many of the people we love in this folk world, um, it's more about preserving the mm. history and the people who came before us than it is yep. just about singing. I did a church sermon this morning in a Unitarian church. Instead of just doing the music, I was the sermon. Uh, and I spoke about the difference between songwriters and folk singers. And we know yeah. this, you know, a songwriter generally will sing 90%, if not more, of his or her songs in a concert. And a folk singer will generally sing maybe 50 to 60% of their songs because we're always paying back sure. those 
who helped us along the way and keeping their music alive exactly. as part of that project. And that's what you're going to do with this new project. Yeah. So yeah. exciting. And yeah, folkmusicnotebook.com is the website. Yeah, but, yeah. But you're right. I mean, it, it, it's it, it's really about the community, and I, I think you've seen that. You know, and, and what you're doing in nursing homes and for veterans, uh, that's important work. I mean, my, my mom was in a nursing home for two years, mm-hmm. and I know how much she loved the music. It wasn't oh, just yeah. people coming there just... You know, yeah. to pick up a paycheck. There were people that were connecting. Sure, and you know, people. I talk to folk singers all the time about this. I say, you're not making a living doing your folk music. Why don't you try learning 20, you yeah. know, Johnny Cash, Elvis, Hank, John Denver songs. You probably know some of them already. Right. Put together a good hour's worth of classics for the old people and call a couple of nursing homes. It's a way to supplement your income, especially on the road. You know, you do an afternoon concert in the nursing home and you can still do your evening show at the coffee house, right. you know, or the pub right. or the union hall. So, um, <laughs> but it's, uh, you know, Ron, I, I do 65 homes I work with now, uh, roughly. Uh, 12 to 15 concerts a week. Wow. I mean, I did three on Friday before I drove to my gig on Long Island. Uh, So it runs you ragged. And one reason I like getting on the road is to get away from that. Uh, and the emotional toll. Yeah. I mean, I lost a good guy last week. I saw a 93-year-old veteran oh. who was a World War II. He, he was a 19-year-old kid in World War II and a, a gunner in a B-24 bomber, 53 missions. And then he became a drummer. Huh. And that was how I bonded with him in the veterans home was because he was a drummer. He loved music. And I knew Dean for three years. I know all his family. And he just passed Tuesday. I saw him oh. last Friday. And we knew it was coming. But you're never ready when it no. happens, you know. No, so, uh, so, yeah. So, but it's, you know, like I say, it's, uh, it's part of the job. But it has also inspired many of... I've written five or six songs over the years about the people I meet in those homes. Sure. Someday I might do a geriatric album. <laughs> <laughs> songs roll, folks. Right. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, but in the meantime, of course, I, I, I also I saw you a year ago, or 11 months ago. I was here in May, and I was just in the beginning of the new album. Mm-hmm. And I uh, had a good summer. I didn't tour a lot in the summer last year. I worked on the record, put it out in time for September. And I did a five-week tour, Oregon, Australia, and California. And uh, and I'm getting ready to hit the road again in July. Serious, um, Oregon and um, Washington in July, Colorado and Montana Labor Day weekend, and then Australia and California in October. So I'm going to do a lot of road work in the second wow. half of this year. Um, and the great thing that's coming up in June. Well, first off, um, May 1st, I'm doing the Bottle House concert May Day at the American Labor Museum in Haldon. 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 Yeah, yeah, right, right outside right. of Patterson. I always do that, and I still haven't learned how to pronounce Haldon <laughs> because I always think of it as Patterson. You know. Right. Um, and then uh, in June 20th is a great labor arts exchange, this annual festival that happens of labor artists. Last year, John McCutcheon got the Joe Hill Award. Uh-huh. This year, Cy Khan is oh, getting it. Lovely. And this is the 40th anniversary. Um, boy, I wish you could make it down for that if you're free. Uh, June 20th uh, to 23rd in Washington, D.C. Uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, but just outside D.C. And it's this gathering of labor artists. Eighty percent of us are singer, folk singers, you know, performers. Uh-huh. But there's labor cartoonists, labor playwrights, labor historians, labor filmmakers. And it's all centered around labor culture and people like Ann Feeney and, of course, you know, Charlie King, Magpie, you know, all those greats have been there over the years and are, are there pretty regularly. So it's going to be pretty exciting next few months for me, too. But um, And then I put the album out last fall and you yeah. know, it, it got some reception, you know, it got uh-huh. played on the folk stations, right. and, you know, it's, but it, it just disappears into the ether uh, and I, you know, I sell them when I play and that's about it. That's what happens on this level, right? Well, it's a, it's a fine album. We've been playing it. And uh, in fact, why don't we, we play a cut from it now? Uh, the album's called One at a Time. Well, yes, it's uh, the reason I, I called it that, you know, I, if you want to know, uh, it's because it was like pulling teeth one at a time to get <laughs> this album. It's the first record I've made in my career where I entered the studio and I only had three new songs for it wow. and, uh, and two covers. And I wrote five more along the way uh, last summer after I saw you and, uh, and added one or two more covers and made a nice album out of mm-hmm. it. So I guess we'll, we'll sing. I wanted to open with the first two songs. Um, the first one's a very quiet song called Did It Really Happen Here, which I wrote the day after that Texas school shooting last May, only a week or two after mm. I was here. Um, in Florida in February, Valentine's Day, of course, there had been a horrible massacre down in Parkland School. Uh, and then there was this second one where about 12 kids were killed, I believe, in that one. And one of these kids was interviewed on the news, I heard her the next day, saying, it's such a safe place, we never thought it would happen here. And I started thinking, man, 
that you hear that every time in every school massacre and every mass shooting and we better wake up and do something to start reducing that you know so that song came out and then we're going to play right after that it will be the loudest song on the record called 1960s holiday which i told my guys in the, the studio i said i want you to sound like the band and i wrote it finished it the morning we were going in to record um and it's the only mention of donald trump he's not mentioned by name but uh talks about a washed up b-list tv star uh, so uh, we'll start with those, and then we'll do a couple songs, I guess, live. Um, but these are the first two songs on the new record. Have we really gone down that far? Have we really lowered 
bar It can be jumped over By a washed up B-list TV star Gets to this I need to Make a getaway Let's take a long extended 1960s holiday George Mann, 1960s holiday from uh, his newest album, One at a Time. And George Mann is with us in the studio today on Traditions, and I'm Ron Olesko, and this is WFDUFM and bluesandrootsradio.com. George, this is a, a, just a lovely CD. Uh, you, you produced it in Ithaca, you were telling me before. Yeah. Oh, yes. I've been working almost exclusively at, at Wilberland Studio, where a lot of great musicians that I know, including mm-hmm. Joe Crookston and some of the members of Brother Son, have recorded there. And uh, just, just Pat Wichter has recorded there. And uh, mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful place. It's an old church built in 1908 mm-hmm. that Will Russell turned into a recording studio about 18 years ago, 19 years ago now. And uh, I discovered it in 2007 and started driving up from New York City to work it there before I ever knew I was going to live in the, uh, in Ithaca. And three years later, when I couldn't stand living in New York <laughs> City anymore, I finally made the move. And that was one of the things that cinched the deal for me, was that right. uh, Wilberland, Electric Wilberland Studio, is five minutes outside of Ithaca. And um, I've written many songs uh, in there when I was commuting up there. I'd spent two or three days there, mm-hmm. um, 2010, 2012, two, you know, before I... Uh, well, 2010 is when I moved. So the first two albums I did up there, 2008 and 2010, I wrote songs were up there. And, uh, you know, he would lock you in the studio at the end of the night, your little two-bedroom guest room apartment in the lower level of the church, and you got nothing to do except play on the Internet, you know? Right, I right. mean, uh, you, you'll, you'll be back tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. So I wrote songs like uh, the song I wrote for Faith Petrick, Dear Faith, up there. Uh-huh. The song I wrote for Utah Phillips, Utah Sounds Fine, uh, from albums seven, eight years ago now, ten years ago almost, you know? So uh, it was really good. We had a great, and great musicians work with me i mean you know i, I can't do it alone uh that was me on the first song all alone i actually played the keyboards <laughs> uh and um but but yeah doug robinson on bass michael wellen on drums they're like the tightest rhythm section in ithaca everybody in ithaca uses them if they can you know uh rich DePaulo is on guitar on a few songs that was me on all the electric guitars on that last song though nice. uh, rich is on a couple of the other songs and and vocalist mary lorson who was in a band called Matter Rose back in the 90s, which was pretty big in the alternative rock scene, you know. Um, she sings on seven songs, and it's just, or nine songs, I think, on the album. She's just beautiful voice. 
Uh, and Terry Burns, too, sang on a few songs. Right. Laverne, formerly of the Burns Sisters. One of the, well, she's still a Burns sister, but <laughs> she's not performing with Annie right. and Marie. She's doing her own stuff. So had a lot of fun. And one thing I felt good about seeing you last year, Ron, was I, I knew I was in a kind of a rut. You know, I had just started the process. I'd only recorded three new songs and two covers for the record. And I knew it was, I had five months to make the record because I had a tour coming up in October. I couldn't miss, you know, I had five week tour, Oregon, Australia, and California. And um, for the first time I had to kind of push the engine a little. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a songwriter who sits there and writes songs every week or, or, or tries to write songs every week. I just wait for the magic to come. And when it comes, I try to, give it the time and the energy it deserves and hopefully walk away with a good song and 90% 95% of the songs I've written in the last 10 years are one sitting songs mm-hmm. you go in you write it you don't stop till you can walk away mm-hmm. and you might change a little thing or add a little line here or change a you know a little chord but the song is a work that you can actually feel you you finished i don't think the energy once it's interrupted is it's never been easy to recapture that energy in a song. Very few songs I've written in the last 10 years were not finished in three to five hours of work right. from the time they actually sat down and started. Hmm. And you know what it is? is What gives you that inspiration? What happened with that first song? That second school shooting yeah. in two months, another massacre, and that teenage girl crying on TV saying, it's so safe down here. We, we never thought it could happen here. Well, get used to it, folks. Sure, okay. It's going to keep happening until anyway. we do something about the gun violence in our country, mm-hmm. um, like many other nations have done, you know? So uh, so thanks I appreciate yeah. it it's, it's good to it's good to be done with the album and <laughs> now I'm like I, you know I, I do about an album every two years so I'm kind of like just easing into the next writing phase and right. I won't even start recording till this fall at the earliest for the next record and um, um, by October I'll be in Australia again so I probably won't even start recording until I have to so get back from year. that tour yeah oh boy yeah, yeah. Well, we're looking forward to that but you know I've got you in the studio today you got your guitar here how about mm-hmm. sharing a live song mm-hmm. I know we, you don't have your full band with you but no but this is one of the ones uh, on this song it was just me and uh, and my friend Marty Confurious on cello on the recording uh, it's called Nothing Left to Say and it's a song I wrote for a veteran I know Jim in one of the homes he's in the dementia ward uh, he has Alzheimer's but Jim when I first met him, I was singing in the Alzheimer's Ward, and I didn't know him, but here's this guy sitting at the table. The first time I met him, and he starts wrapping his hands on the table so hard. I swear, I was, I, nurse, this, nurse, uh, you know, she said, that's okay. He's a drummer. He used to play drums. I said, okay, but I was worried that he was going to hurt his hands. Well, anyway, he could barely speak at that point. You could still get a few sentences out of him. As you know, Alzheimer's primarily affects speech as they get older, as it, as it progresses. And the last thing to go is music. I've seen Alzheimer's residents who haven't spoken for months who can sing songs. And the, the nurses start crying, you know, because they haven't seen him talk, but they hear him sing. Well, anyway, Jim was sitting there raffing that uh, on the table every time I go there. And I was going there once a month at the time, and now it's twice a month. They've increased my, my work there. And uh, over the years, the last two years, it stopped. It slowed and eventually stopped. But then two weeks after I was here last May, I was there at the veterans' home singing. And I look, and there's Jim in the corner in his wheelchair bed. And one little finger is going up and down on his knee. Just one finger, and I don't know if you can see that on the camera, but uh, but um, it was just amazing. I ran over, Jim, you're drumming again. Face as blank as can be. He, You can say anything you want to him, and he doesn't respond. He just can't. But I knew that finger was sending me a signal. It did it for two or three songs. It stopped when I stopped. It started when I played. But he's never done that again. And I just saw him two weeks ago. He's still alive. I went home and I wrote this song because there I was struggling with the ability to write new songs for the record. And I'm saying, what happens if I have nothing left to say? And I mean it both ways. Nothing left to say that way. Alzheimer's someday. But more importantly, I was like, gosh, what if I run out of songs? What if I run out of messages? And somehow it came out. So I'll sing it to you without the cello because Marty's not here today. But on the record, he did a beautiful cello part. Jim is sitting in the corner They've engaged the parking brake As I launch into another song His one finger starts to shake It's been months since he has spoken Mostly he just sits and stares 
Long ago he was a drummer But now he doesn't leave this chair So I smile at him And I feel for Jim I can see him slipping away My greatest fear One day you'll find me here With nothing left to say Several years ago I met him The music jolted him awake He wrapped his hands upon the table So hard I feared that they might break But now the drummer's hands are quiet Silenced by the hands of time that one finger still remembers And it's sending me a sign So I smile at him And I feel for Jim I can see him slipping away My greatest fear One day you'll find me here With nothing left to say so I smile at him And I feel for Jim I can see him slipping away My greatest fear One day you'll find me here With nothing left to say <laughs> That's a great song, a powerful song. George Band. And I didn't even know I was going to write that one. Like yeah. I said, it happened that day, and I, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's moving his finger yeah. after months and months of nothing. And yet I couldn't get him to acknowledge that, you know? Yeah. And actually, the only time that I've seen any reaction from him, i got to be honest with you, I, I made a mistake a couple months ago. I went up to him, and as I always do, I see him twice a month. If he's he's not always in the room, you know, they sometimes he's sleeping, or he's got a medical appointment, or they just don't bring him out. You know, he doesn't, he can't tell him he wants to come out, but they they know I love him, and uh, they bring him out whenever he can. You know, but um, I went up to him once about two months ago when I was there, and I said, "Oh, Jim, good to see you." And I, again, blank stare, open eyes, nothing, nothing. I take his hand. He can't move his hand, but I take it in my hand. I shake it. I say, Jim, man, I miss when you used to drum. When you used to drum, it was so much fun. I'd hear you banging on the table. And he started to, like, in an agitated way, like mm. breathing got a little. Wow. And so I backed off right away. And what I thought was, if he's recognizing what I'm saying, yeah. he's feeling pain and frustration and sadness uh, sure. that he can't drum anymore because he was once a drummer who played oh, a wow. kid, apparently. You know, he played in a band or something. They said he was a drummer, and that's why he was wrapping his hands. So huh. it just, uh, so yeah, you learn things, you know. Yeah. Like, for example, I learned years ago never to bring up in front of a veteran World War II, for example, or experience. You know, what was it like in Vietnam for you, fella? Mm -hmm. oh, you know, I mean. You don't want to stir it up, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. A quick story. Um, I was once in the, in the same home. I was singing every Friday when I'm on the road. There were three veterans in this one area where I knew they were all World War II veterans. One of them was Frank. The other two guys, they were all good guys. Frank loved music. I start singing the Reuben James. I think, oh, you, must, you guys must know this song. You must remember. Right. Frank starts bawling his eyes out. The other guys are listening. And I go, Frank, what's wrong? What's wrong? He's crying. He can't. The nurse is comforting him. Finally, I stop the song. I go, Frank, what's wrong? And through his tears, he goes, I was there. Oh my god. He wasn't an Alzheimer's resident, he was just a senior, yeah, you know, yeah. he wasn't on the Reuben James, but he was in the convoy. Oh boy. And I was like, Oh God, and I'm singing a song about the Reuben James. Oh, yeah. So uh, I learned a lesson that day. Yeah, and uh, so so with Jim now it's just when I see him, Hi Jim, right. great to see you, give him a hug and the blanks there. <laughs> it's 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 a big learning experience. I my, my mother was in a nursing home for two years and, and she she didn't have Alzheimer's or dementia, but she was slowly starting to lose her faculties. Mm -hmm. But I remember they brought her into an art class and I'm thinking, Oh great, you know, paint by number kind of thing. What 
but it wasn't. It wasn't. She, she actually drew a, a, a painted a vase of a flowers yeah. from memory. Wow! And I was looking at. It, I was astounded. You know, I've never seen her in my life paint, but yet something inside her, and they were, they were able to bring that out in her. Did you keep and the painting yourself? Oh, it's, it's hanging in my yeah. den right yeah. now, and I, I would never lose that. Yeah, some of the greatest gifts I've ever gotten are from people in nursing and veterans' yeah. homes, and they yeah. might be a poem, or they might be as insignificant as a little flower that they had, you know? Sure. But uh, I keep a lot of that stuff uh, in a bookshelf at home, and that's my shrine to, to all those, those guys who have all gone, and women who have died by now, you know, yeah. most of them, you know? I tell you, I'm sure you wouldn't churn down a Grammy award, but I think what you get is a is a, be- a better reward than, than that. <laughs> well, emotionally and fa- mentally, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's a challenge too, you know. But it's as I said, it, it's a, it's a whole different scene from promoting my own music, going on the road and right. seeing the folk tradition, which you know, as you know, for me is really steeped in the labor tradition, sure. the labor songs of Joe Hill, Woody Pete. Utah Phillips, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, well you have a song on uh, one at a time about uh, Oklahoma Sun. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm going to fess up. It's an old one. Uh-huh. There's two old songs on the record. The first time I, I was, like I said, I was struggling for new material. So I was thinking, all right, well, what happened was it was in July. And I was, you know, I started writing. I'd written those two songs I just sang, or the song about the gun violence and the song I just sang about Jim. And I was, you know, the album's moving along. But I, I was listening to this song for the first record I recorded with Julius Margolin 20 years ago. And it was exactly 20 years ago that I was working on that record. And Julius was my old singing partner. He died. It'll be 10 years ago this summer. And, uh... This song I'd written for Woody way back then. I just read the Joe Klein biography about Woody. And I was so full of Woody in my head. I was so inspired by him. And I was still a union organizer at the time. I wasn't making music full time. I was working with the Musicians Union. So anyway, so this summer, when I was struck, or last summer when I was working with American, I thought, wow, that's a good song. And nobody's ever heard it because I never sung it for 20 years. And uh, I happened to be booked on the weekend of July 14th and 15th. July 14th is Woody's birthday. Woody's birthday, right? And on that day, I recorded this song. And it's called Oklahoma Sun off the new record. We're going to hear the recorded version, right? Okay. In school, they made us sing it every morning like the sun. And the words all ran together Till it ended up as fun All the images forever captured by an Oklahoma sun That could be the biggest thing a man has ever done Oh Woody, you were past it by the time that I was born And your Huntington's disease Had left you frail and mute and torn Already bound for glory A million thoughts, a thousand songs Already passed to legend By the day that I was born You were Oklahoma's son but in the end belong to no one Sign painter, singer, sailor, soldier born Both a father and a child A fascist fighting union mayor Writing songs and poems for everyone No, the Dust Bowl couldn't stop you Nor could the bulls in the railroad yards You found thousands of your people Under bridges and in boxcars There was opportunity in everything you saw A chance to turn a witnessing into another song You were Oklahoma's son but in the end belong to no one Sign painter, singer, sailor, soldier born Both a father and a child A fascist fighting union man Writing songs and poems for everyone
staggered drunk, disabled, rambling on. There's so much in your short life and work to cherish and pass on. And though they don't sing all your words in polite company, still I know this land was truly made for you and me. So every time I sing that song to the old or to the young, yeah, I sing all the verses like I know you would have done. And I bow my head to greatness, make sure they know who you were. That's the greatest gift I got from Oklahoma's son. That could be the greatest gift from Oklahoma's son. And that could be the biggest thing a man has ever done. George Mann from his album One at a Time, a song about Woody Guthrie, Oklahoma's son. And we have, um, I guess, New York's son with us in the studio today. George Mann is here. Yeah, well, as I said, when I wrote that one 20 years ago, I was so full of Woody. I just read the Joe Klein biography. And for those of you who are interested, if you haven't read it, I mean, I haven't read. That's the only biography of Woody I've read. There was another one that came out about five years ago that I remember reading five, six years ago. But the Joe Klein book is, I think, the best one because... It was written in 1980, so mm-hmm. he was talking to people who knew Woody and were still alive back then. Yep. And that whole story about this land is your land is what I referenced in the song. You know, those verses that, that when the song became popular, of course it was Pete Seeger who made, made that song popular. Woody never made that song popular. It mm-hmm. was the late 50s as Pete started singing it during his blacklisted years that people really latched onto that song. And that whole, it, in, in some ways, it helped start this folk revival and... And, of course, spurred on all these young singers to write their own stuff. But those verses about private property and about the people starving in the city, they are always censored in the school books. Yep. They, and it's like, you know, I always say, would you take the guitar solo out of Stairway to Heaven? You know well, what I mean? I, I mean I, I'll know. tell you a story behind yeah. that. I, I interviewed Moses Ash once um, and about that song. And he knew, he knew what he was doing. He said, yeah, I, I took it out of the, the, uh, the school books because I knew the song wouldn't be sung. So it was, you know, it was purposeful between mm. him and Woody, and uh, okay. he said this way they were able to get that song out there because mm. it's such an important song. But sure. you're right; people do forget those verses. Yeah. And or for example, I mean, the, the, the versions that people sing only they only know those verses; yeah. they don't know the lost right. verses. Right. So, so when I sing the song, I generally try to explain that and and say. These are important verses. He sure, wrote them. Sure. They're in the original manuscript, manuscript that you know the 1944 manuscript that he wrote that right. day in New York City, or 1941 yeah. when he when he landed in New York City. So uh, Arlo, yeah. Arlo tells a story that you know when Woody was um, ill, he he brought him out to the backyard where he could still play, and he taught Arlo. He wanted those Arlo verses. to hear. That's in the Joe Klein book yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted Arlo to know those verses. Yeah, right, in right. the late 50s it would have been. Yeah, early 60s maybe, but um. But yeah, so Woody, uh, you know, I, I look back and, you know, I don't want to sound male-centric, of course, there's, you know, Joan Baez, Odetta, you know, Judy Collins, all these great women folk singers, but, but for the labor folk world that I've traveled in, it's really Woody Pete, Joe Hill, sure. and Utah Phillips that have made the biggest impression on me as a folk singer and as a songwriter, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and people who I try to at least emulate in my, my life and, and the way I treat other people. Right. Hmm. And, and there, there were women. I mean, Florence Reese, um, Molly Jackson. But you know, I think it was also a sign of the times. You know, it was a different world. The way they recorded, the way they were heard, the way they were treated. So, yeah. well, also know. let's remember, Woody Guthrie never was a star in his day, no, right? No. He, his biggest thing was his Bound for Glory autobiography. Right. It was a bestseller, but uh, he wasn't selling millions of records or anything. Um, and uh, it really was uh, Pete Seeger uh, and people who came after Woody that that raised him to the status he deserves sure. of, of our great, if not our greatest, one of our greatest folk singers and songwriters. And his uh, yeah. ex-wife, uh, Marjorie Guthrie. Well, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I interviewed Marjorie back in the 70s, and I remember going to her office and seeing all these file cabinets. This is before they had everything really organized. Oh, yeah, yeah. But she gave Joe Klein access to all of these very private letters and mm-hmm. such. And Diaries and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. And she was such a huge supporter. And I think really she just not getting enough credit for really uh, mm. helping to inspire and yeah. keep that, that I mean, story alive. She couldn't live with him as his wife, yeah, but, yeah. but she loved him. She had children with him, and she knew the value of his work. And she supported She supported mm-hmm. him. They, they divorced mainly because of the, the the financial issues, uh, mm. but you know they uh, they had a, 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 a an interesting relationship. <laughs> well, George Mann is with us, who's got an interesting career. Uh, we, you know, we've been talking about the, you know, his work in the nursing homes and uh, his touring uh, all around the globe, bringing these songs. You know, you, you're saying before to me off off mic that you know this was the concert you were doing in um, Long Island this week. It was the first time in months that you've done your own material you know I, I guess it's hard when you're in a nursing home you're obviously not doing your own songs you're doing songs that are going to get the, the patients inspired but is it is it difficult to switch hats like that and go back to not at all no. I actually I love you know because again I don't tour seven eight months a year I'm right. on the road two or three months a year at most and a bunch of weekends you know um uh, so it's a it's a welcome break when that happens. But the thing is, every once in a while they do ask me, "Do you sing songs? Do you sell CDs?" And and I will sing, right. uh, you know, not a you know, burn the bridges down, uh, let's go to the barricades <laughs> song. But I'll sing one of the songs I wrote for one of the veterans or the you know seniors I know, or or something a little uh, you know like this song, the song "This Beautiful Child," which I wrote many years ago. Um, so what's interesting though is I have to kind of, I do try to keep a real low profile. I don't talk about my other world in right. the nursing homes because you're there to bring them a little cheer so unless somebody brings up Donald Trump for example I would never bring up Donald Trump in, in a one hour concert in front of you know 80 year old people right. you don't want to upset somebody you know or, or somebody who's a little mentally unbalanced get, you know complains and you don't yeah. get hired back yeah, right. you know you, know, you got to know your parameters and it's not self censorship it's just it's a different gig you know it's just you know I mean I wouldn't you know, I, I don't sing Hank Williams in front of my audiences, you know what right, I mean? Right. Uh, but the, the one thing about doing that kind of work is I've learned hundreds of songs that I never thought I'd learn, you know, uh-huh. uh, Hank, Johnny, John Denver, the Everly Brothers, really good music, but it's not my style, per se. Not, not your style, but I, I imagine you do learn something from singing those oh, songs, yeah. too. Yeah. Makes you a better performer, too, you right. know? Uh, and the one thing about that work is... um. It's so unpredictable. I never work with a set list anywhere I go anyway, unless it's like a real special event and they ask for three songs. You know what songs you're going to do, you know. Um, But uh, it's all on the fly. Mm -hmm. So I always say at the beginning, well, if you have a favorite singer or a songwriter or a song, a a group from the 50s or 60s or 70s, if I know it, I'll do it. And uh, the real problem is when they start asking for, like, the crooners. (laughs) I don't do Bing Crosby (laughs) or Tony Bennett, you know what I mean? I say, I don't have a band, you know, but I I will pull out my way Uh if if they ask for Frank, you know, I mean, uh, and get them to sing, I did it my way, as loud as they can, you know. Uh But um, but no, so getting back to that is, you know, I I said, I, I think the best thing about what I'm doing is I'm doing enough work in the homes that I can pick and choose how much I want to tour. I'm not a slave to the road to pay my bills. Right. And matter of fact, you make more money at home because I don't have to pay for airfare, car rental, <laughs> sure. gas, occasional hotels, food on the road. Yeah. So, um, so it, it's uh, it, it, I'm trying to find a good balance and really trying to move more in the direction of doing more of my work in the next couple of years. You know, I'm 56 now. I only got another 10, 15 years till. I'm going to start really slowing down, you know, if not sooner. Music um, keeps you young. (laughs) So uh, I got hired back for this Kangaroo Valley Folk Festival in Australia, and I've got uh, applications in for several other festivals in Australia for the fall. So my tour is being built now around three or four concerts and that weekend festival and waiting on three or four more festivals, which they'll announce in the next month or so. Um, but but as I said, it, I haven't really cracked you know the big festivals here. I did Clearwater mm-hmm. once with Rick Valeri when we were doing the Almanac Trail project, and Peter just passed away. Um, but uh, you know Falcon Ridge, I haven't even bothered to try to apply uh-huh. for you know yeah. because I just don't think I'm on that level. Yet. Yet. Well, you're going to get there. You're going to get there. We'll see. Uh, how about sharing us uh, one of your songs? Sure. The last song I wrote for the record is this. Uh, the next one I'm going to do. You know, I think I told you this last year. Each of the last three albums I made, I get to the point after eight or ten months, six or eight months, whatever the process takes, because you, you can't record all at once financially, and I don't have it all together when I start recording anyway. Uh, 
you get to the end and the last three albums I made before this one I, I always knew I needed one more beautiful song one more good song for the record and I wrote those songs right at the end of the process and they became the very first song on those last three records for whatever reason it made sense this song as soon as I started writing I knew it was going to be the last song on the record because it's called Fishing at the End of the World and it's about the end of the world um, Will Russell who you know again owns the studio Wilverland when we lock ourselves in the studio for eight hours, before we know, the world could explode and we wouldn't know about it, you know? Because, you know, you're wrapped in the project in the studio, you know? And I imagine what would happen. We have a, a line, you know, and, oh, I don't like that line. Let's go fishing for something better, you know? Or, or let's try and do that solo over again, you know, and see if it comes out better. So uh, I thought that Will and I were going to go fishing. You know, it's my friend Will. It's not the studio owner. We're off in the woods, weekend of guys hanging out. And... The apocalypse comes, and we hear it, but it's far away. And when that happens, if that happens someday, the question I was posing to myself is, what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and cry, or are you going to go out and celebrate one more time when you know you're going to be, within a day or so, you'll die from the radiation? So it's a dark song, but there's glimmers of hope and celebration in it, too. (laughs) So it's called Fishing at the End of the World. Began like any other day I made a list to be done Suddenly the sky just turned to grey I was still on number one Then the sound of the explosion There was nowhere to run Sitting in this cellar With this guitar in my hand Will and I were going fishing tonight Someone else had other plans But you won't find me in this basement No, no As the final acts unfurl Will and I are going fishing tonight Fishing at the end of the world I look at him, he looks at me We look outside again both see the city, dust and debris, carried by an angry wind. Will is thinking of his family, mine are all so far away. Now I'm sitting in this cellar, with this guitar in my hand. Will and I will go in fishing tonight Someone else had other plans We might not be here tomorrow As the final acts unfurled So Will and I will go in fishing tonight Fishing at the end of the world if you want to come and join us, come on, Ron. Let's give it one more world. We'll be sitting on the dock tonight, sitting at the end of the world. Will and I are going fishing tonight, fishing at the end of the world.
All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab my fishing pole and join you guys. Uh, <laughs> now the funny thing is, I'm not a fisherman. <laughs> I, I, I don't kill animals. Uh, I right. eat them, of course, uh, like most people do. But I, I don't I don't fish at all. But uh, that was this little metaphor and a little nod to my friend yeah. Will, you know, because we it's a line we use in the studio often. Let's go fishing for something better, uh-huh. you know. Great song. Um, but, but yeah, yeah. Well, I, I said it again. It was a one sitting song. It was the end of August, early September. We were just about wrapping the album. I went in the next day and recorded it with Mary Lawson singing harmonies. You know, <laughs> so um, so now I'm waiting for the next group to yeah. come, Ron. You well, know, I just started on a few new songs. Nothing. I'm not recording for you know, again. Not for another six months probably. Do I even think about recording the new next album? Yeah. And uh, hoping that the next six months of travels will bring sure. helping. I tend to write on the road a lot too, you know, for, for for the amount of songs I write. I do write songs on the road often because um, stories come to you, as you know, from your experience. And if you don't leave your home, yeah. you're not going to find. Yeah. You gaze at your na- you'll be a song whiner, as Mark Ross says, <laughs> right? You know, you're gazing at your na- naval songs, you know. Right. So, uh, but I'm uh, looking forward to the next year, and I'm really excited about this project you're starting up, and and uh, any way that, that we can help uh, uh, promote ourselves and this project, uh, sure. we will. We, you know that the folk community will be there for you. Oh, I appreciate that. We'll just keep writing good songs, recording good songs, and I, I guess by next May, when you're when you're back again, we'll, <laughs> we'll hear some new ones. Yeah, it, how many albums have you recorded so far? Oh my gosh, have you lost um, count. Uh, I think I have 16 albums wow. counting the four Hail to the Thief compilations right. I produced and the two veterans uh, Until You Come Home compilations, songs about war. Sure. So um, I did three with it, Julius, and I've done six albums since he died. And I did two before he died. Uh, I mean, before I started working with him, so like about 16 albums, something like that. Uh, and then there's two old rocker albums that nobody's ever heard Uh-oh. from the 90s that are only on cassette because uh-huh. you know nobody was making CDs in the early 90s, at least not on our level, you know. So, um, but no, but this, as long as the songs keep coming, um, I'm going to spend what little money I can spare <laughs> to record them and go into debt to record them and then put them out because that's what we do. I was having this conversation with somebody last night. Uh, we were sitting around after having drinks after the concert. And I said, well, you know, it, the only thing that bothers me or scares me about this position I'm in is, God forbid something happens. Yeah, I've got a little bit of a nest egg. I've got retirement funds that you can take out if you want. Pen, you know, penalize, pay the taxes, but I don't really have a nest egg. My mm. van is at 203,000 miles. Wow. Yeah, and I'm going to need a new one in the next year. I've got to figure out how I'm going to pay for that. That's why I'm not making an album this year. But, but like most people in this world, we choose to do this because of the love of the music and how it has captured us as human beings and changed the kind of person we are. I'm not the kind of person I would have been if I hadn't discovered Utah Phillips, Pete Seeger the folk world, the tradition of struggle, and the labor movement for me. I would have been just a lefty, but probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been anywhere near engaged as I am in the world. So, so as I always say, I'm repaying that debt. Right. The debt that Faith Petrick and Pete Seeger and all those other people have left off, have given us, you know, of themselves. We're paying them back now and then. So that's what I hope to do for the next 10 years until yeah. I can start drawing Social Security at 66. <laughs> well, you, yeah, hopefully Someday. You're, you're also inspiring others, too. When you, when you write songs like this with the work that you do, uh, you know, I think it's... It's all part of that chain, you know. You're just you're a link, and I think you're the, another link will be coming along yeah. too. But you know, I, I get when you when you're talking about um, you know putting so much of a you know of your own finances and your life into this. I, I also think of all the wonderful artists that get so discouraged by it that they give it up. I mean, back in the '80s when the fast folk movement was happening here in, in New York City, Speakeasy and all that, there were some really talented people. But you know, they were, when they didn't get that brass ring. Mm. Well, it's time to get a job as an accountant or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you wonder what songs we may have missed, what, what yeah. artists we may yeah. have You know, the, the, the most liberating thing for me in the last 10 years, and it happened six, seven years ago at least, was when I got to the point where I was doing enough work in the nursing and veterans homes that I didn't fret over every single gig I was doing, how many people were there, how many people bought CDs. Didn't have to push them to buy a CD. Oh, this is a really great album. You should check it out at the sales table. I'm a very low-pressure salesperson at the sales table. (laughs) You have questions, I'll answer them. I'll talk to you about the songs, but you you want to buy them. I'm not going to try to get you to buy them. Um, But the biggest liberating thing for me was realizing that I could do all the work on a gig that I thought humanly possible to turn people out, and still you'd play for 20 people. And yet, there'd be gigs where 15 or 20 people would buy twice as many CDs as a gig with 60 or 80 people. So there's no formula to it. So the minute you surrender, 
thinking you can change the formula, you're free. Sure. And you can only do that if you do have some kind of financial backup plan or some other source of income. So that's why uh, what you say, uh, it's sad that some people gave up what they did as opposed to just curtailing what they did and taking that job for a while to figure out what they were doing wrong. I told you this story before. The best advice I ever got from Utah Phillips was he told me to take a job in 2006 that I didn't want to take because I wasn't making a living as a folk singer. And he said, take it. Milk it for all it's worth. It's a great job. It's got benefits, vacation. Think about what you're doing wrong and figure it out. And when you figure it out, you'll quit that job. Mm-hmm. And he was right. Yeah, Two yeah. and a half year later, years later, I quit that job and uh, started a full-time life as a folk singer. <laughs> so, so, you know, for those of you who are listening who are trying to do this or getting discouraged, the world is contracting for this type of music. Sure. Um, and the style of music that we older people like is not the same type of folk music that the young people are listening to. It's more pop-oriented, more dance-oriented. So I realize that 10, 20 years from now, we will be dinosaurs in yeah. a sense. But while we're here, we Keep do what we going. can. And you too, Ron. Oh, thank you. Well, <laughs> George, I want to thank you for coming by today. Your website for our audience, if you want to find out more Yes, about of course. Music. If you want to help me financially, you can check out my <laughs> albums. Uh, uh, of course, all my stuff is available on iTunes, Amazon, all that. But I discourage that because they yeah. only pay artists like 56 cents a That's ridiculous. Uh, CD uh, song when they take a dollar from you. CDbaby.com is a good place for digital downloads. They give the artists so much more. Right. Um, but my website, you can order directly through me. And that's the cheapest way and the best way for me because I don't charge you additional shipping fees. George Mann, dot O-R-G. On there also is the new album and there's a page for all my albums have separate pages. There's videos for seven of the songs. Five of them we did today so far. So um, people can actually check out videos I made for, for some of the songs and hear them, mm-hmm. the recorded version too. So I hope you'll check out and drop me a line if anybody's listening and has a question or uh, has feedback. I, I certainly appreciate hearing from people in the folk world. Well, we've got a few seconds. I want to get this yes. next song on. Uh, Pete Seeger would have been 100 years old mm-hmm. on May 3rd, and you recorded a, a song that I think a lot of people re- re- relate to him. Uh, well, he sang it in many of his concerts right up to the end of his life. And it's called How Can I Keep From Singing? And I did record it as a memento, a memory of Pete, and to keep his music in front of people, even though he didn't write it. So right. beautiful recording. Um, thanks again. Good to see you. Okay, good How to see you. How Can I Keep From Singing? We can't. That's all we do. George Mann, thanks so much. My life flows on in endless song Above us lamentation I hear the real though far off hymn That hails a new creation Through all the tumult and the strife I hear that music ringing It sounds an echo in my soul How can I keep from singing? What though the tempest loudly roars I know the truth it liveth What though the darkness round me close Songs in the night it giveth No storm can shake my inmost calm While to that rock I'm clinging Since love is Lord of heaven and earth How can I keep from singing?
death knells ringing When friends rejoice both far and near How can I keep from singing In prison cell and dungeon by Our thoughts to them are winging When friends by shame are undefiled How can I keep from singing? How can I keep from singing? And that was uh, George Mann. How can I keep from singing from his latest album, One at a Time? Again, my thanks to George Mann for joining us today on Traditions. And thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing. Again, George's website, georgeman.org. And that's George, M-A-A, I'm sorry, M-A-N-N, two N's, georgeman.org. And uh, I'm Ronald Lesko, Traditions here today. And, um, you know, in these times that we live in, you know, we need people like, like George Mann. We need more people like George Mann out there uh, performing for veterans and nursing homes and, and for people who just love this music and get inspired by it. 